Today was Yom Latmot. <coughs> That's what I learned from Simcha School. My wife points out that this is, I think, the first time since I was married that I did not say Hallel on Yom Latmot. As the old Talmudic principle goes, when in Rome, do like the Romans, and I have typically been davened in shuls that say Hallel on Yom Latmot. Today I was at home, and I just did my regular davening. I thought actually of discussing today some of the contemporary tshuvas on saying Hallel and Shechion on Yom Latmot. Instead, I decided on a different topic, uh, also related to Yom Ha'atzmut, and that is some of the literature of making Aliyah. It is a big topic. There are dozens, maybe hundreds of tshuvas written on the topic. Not a very systematically discussed one. We have a handful of tshuvas from the medieval period, from the early Akronim, from the later Akronim, lots of them in contemporary tshuvas. So we're going to take a look at maybe a half dozen or so of some of the early some of the, and some of the seminal tshuvas written on the topic of, Yom, of uh, making Aliyah, the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael. So a lot of literature, not all of it is in the responsive literature, some of it is in Shulchan Aruch and commentaries to Shulchan Aruch and other, other types of other uh, sub-areas of Jewish literature. But we're going to focus on a, about a half dozen or so major tshuvas starting from the Rishonim in the 13th century or so, and then going down to the, the contemporary period of the 20th century. We're going to begin with some of the very earliest tshuvas I know, a, a handful of tshuvas by the Maram of Rattenberg. Maram of Rattenberg is a fascinating figure. He is, of course, one of the Amude Ha'ora, one of the leading pillars of Ashkenazic, of, of German halacha. He was the teacher of the Rush, and, and the Rush is one of the pillars of the Shulchan Aruch, even for Svardi halacha. But the, the Maram was a, a, was a legendary figure, enormously influential in, in Ashkenaz in the 13th century. And he wrote a number of tshuvas discussing Yishu uh, Baruch Yisrael, mitzvah, the considerations on both sides, whether one should or one shouldn't. Before we see his actual tshuvas, I just want to begin with a famous poem of his, the poem of Shali Srufa Be'esh. Shali Srufa Be'esh was a, was a poem he wrote, uh, Akina, a dirge to lament the burning of the Talmud in Paris in the 13th century. It was a terrible, terrible blow. 24 wagons of, uh, of Svarim, of Talmud, burned in, in irreplaceable loss in that time before they had copiers and printers and digital and Zoom and Otsura uh, Chachma online and all those things. Terrible, terrible, incalculable loss. The fascinating thing to me for many years about Shali Srufa Be'esh it is a beautiful, beautiful poem. I find it one of the most moving of all the kinos we say, even though it's not actually about the loss of human life and not, not about actual human suffering, just indirect human suffering. The kina itself, anyone who is still paying attention when we get that far into the kinos on Tisha B'av will note that it is, it is very, very heavily based on the maybe even more famous poem of Rabbi Huda Levi, Tzion Hello Sishali. Tzion Hello Sishali is one of the most famous poems in, in Jewish literature, it's considered one of the most beautiful and one of the most moving poems of, of, of any era by any poet. Uh, and this one is on the subject of Eretz Yisrael. Yudah Levi talks about Eretz Yisrael, his longing for it, his love for it, his just, his just overwhelming emotional, emotional pull toward Eretz Yisrael. He, it's, almost as if Eretz Yisrael, it's almost as if the land of Eretz Yisrael is a, is a human being, is, a, is his beloved, a romantic interest, a child, a parent or something about how much he yearns and loves and just can't withstand the pull of Eretz Yisrael. So that was Rabbi Dalevi's poem. The Marama Rattenberg's poem, Shali Srufa Be'esh, 
even the title is very similar, Tzion Halos Shali, Shali Srufa Be'esh, and both of them refer to the, the beloved uh, asking about those who love it, Eretz Yisrael, and Rita Levy's poem is asking about the Jews who love Eretz Yisrael, will you not ask about us, and in, in Rama Rottenberg is uh, the Torah, the, he, he talks about how, how the Torah should ask, should ask for us, should ask about its Shali Srufa Be'esh, L'Shlom Avelayach, to the ask how we're doing, the mourners who are, in, who are in mourning over the burning of the Talmud, and so on, and it's, a, it's, an, it's an extremely moving poem. It is derivative. A lot of the imagery, you can, you, you can, you can highlight whole lines which have direct parallels in Ruda Levi, but he changed entirely the theme of the poem from the Eretz Yisrael to the Torah. And that illustrates the theme of the Chuvas and the Maram that we're about to discuss. The Maram is going to write about the importance of Eretz Yisrael, and of course, like every other Jewish thinker, he agrees entirely that Eretz Yisrael is, uh, is, is something fundamental. Eretz Yisrael is something we need and something that we're commanded to, to yearn toward and to make efforts to settle. However, in the, for the Maram, at least, there was one thing in his value system that was even more important than Eretz Yisrael, and that was the study of Torah. The study of Torah to the Maram, as a, as a Chachm of Ashkenaz, this is probably true for all, all Chachamim, but particularly the Maram, for him, for the, for the Chachm Ashkenaz, Torah, the Talmud, was, was something that was just, uh, there was nothing to compare. Torah was simply the most important thing in the world, and that is the theme that he deals with, one of the main themes he deals with in his several tshuvas on going to Eretz Yisrael. So in his first tshuva, first tshuva he just deals with some of the chazals, the importance of going to Eretz Yisrael. He says uh, that, that indeed it is true, as chazals say, that if a person goes to Eretz Yisrael, he, he gets uh, forgiveness a clean slate for all his sins, all his sins are wiped away. However, Maram says, provided, it's not a magic get-out-of-jail-free card, there, there's a condition, you're on probation, you know, you're on, uh, you, you have to answer, you have, you have to demonstrate good behavior subsequently. You have to be very careful about avoiding any sin. You have to fulfill, now that you're living in Israel, you have to fulfill all the mitzvahs at Luya's Baretz, because if you sin there, your sin, your, your sin is worse than a sin in Chutzlar, it's a classic Jewish theme, he says, Hashem Doresh Satamid, Ene Hashem Ba. The Pasik says, Ene Hashem Elokechaba, Mereshus Hashanah, and Akhus Hashanah. Hashem is particularly concerned about what goes on in Eretz Israel. His Hashkacha on the land of Israel is Tadir. And there's no comparison between someone who is Murray B'Malchus in the palace, someone who is in the palace itself and defies the king and flouts the king's rules. He's, uh, he's much worse than someone who flouts the king's authority from outside the palace. That's what the Torah means when it says Eretz Achelas Yoshevah, it's a land that consumes its inhabitants, that's what the Meraglim said. But it's true, the Ram says, in a certain sense, it's true. The stakes are higher in Eretz Yisrael. Bad behavior, sinful behavior in Eretz Yisrael is going to be punished more severely than sinful behavior outside Eretz Yisrael is. That's what the Pasuk means when it says Vlosaki Haaretz Kasher Kaes Agai that uh, if you're not good, the land will spit you out. Hashem will always punish you if you're sinful, but the stakes are compounded when you live in Eretz Yisrael. The land spits out over Averis. That's why he says Eretz Yisrael is Achshav Shmamahi. That's why Eretz Yisrael is not doing very well. In the dark ages, Eretz Yisrael was a backwater. It was uh, not exactly flourishing. Ein ba'irmu kefes chama. There's no city with a proper wall like other countries because Hashem is uh, particularly severe on the inhabitants of Eretz Yisrael. They're not necessarily worse than the inhabitants of the rest of the world, but the punishment is more severe. And that's why Eretz Yisrael is not doing very well in his time. He goes on. Those who go there and attempt to behave improperly there, they're nohei kalos rosh, they behave frivolously, v'pachazusam, and leskote chama. I don't know what he had in mind exactly, they fight there, they quarrel there, they exhibit different kinds of bad behavior, 
Again, that's what the Torah means when it says, Vatavo, Vatatamu Esartzi. These are people who come and defile my land. However, someone who goes Yilashem Shemayim and conducts himself with Kedusha and Tara, ain't case Lascharo. His reward is infinite. As long, one other condition, which we'll see in other Chuvas as well, as long as he can afford it, as long as he can earn a living there. The Kol Vesela anyone who travels to Israel, the Talmud implies, does so with the intent that he can make ends meet and he can be financially stable. That's what the Gemara says. So this is the Maram's first point. It's wonderful. It's an incredibly good thing to go to Eretz Yisrael. However, the stakes are high, and you can actually end up worse there than you will in Chutzlarts. If you don't uh, adhere to a sufficiently high standard, you're in big trouble, and it's going to be bad for you. It's going to be worse for you than it would be if you were in Chutzlarts. This is all in contradistinction, I suppose, to the attitude. I'm not that familiar with, with Rav Cook's thought, but, but there are those certainly in the general orbit of Rav Cook who felt that the mere fact of being in Eretz Yisrael and being part of Klal Yisrael is so valuable that it outweighs the fact that they're not fulfilling all the mitzvahs properly. Maram is taking a more, uh, a more severe perspective that, no, they're on the contrary. If you're going to go there and not keep the Torah and not do the mitzvahs, it's worse off, you're, you're worse than if you would have stayed in Chutzlar. The Shem is going to punish you more severely, you'll be in more trouble. So don't, to be very careful about going there unless you really plan on living a life of what he calls Kedusha and Tara, and being meticulous and strict about all the mitzvahs. If you do that, then wonderful, then ain't case then your reward is infinite. But if not, then, uh, then the, the outcome will not be good. Another tshuva, Maram was asked about... Uh, is it true that someone is potter from Chibur HaKever, from different types of punishments that the soul, the body suffers uh, at, when, when they'll be uh, revived? Maram says, Lo Yadati. Not familiar. Maram is a uh, great Talmudist. He certainly didn't profess to be a Kabbalist or to be an eschatologist or to have uh, strong opinions about the Gula. Maram is not ashamed to say, I, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen when the, when, when the dead are revived. I can't tell you. But another question you asked, a more halachic question, a more down-to-earth question, he says, you asked, and this, this cuts to one of the key questions I, I want to explore tonight, why have Jews historically not made Aliyah? Jews had to, some Jews did, there were, there were always Jews who did, but they were in the minority, most Jews did not. So this is, the Maram is one of the first to directly grapple with this question. He says, why do the sages of the Talmud not travel to Eretz Yisrael? They were in Babel. There were some in Eretz Yisrael. We do have an entire Palestinian Talmud. We, the, Gemara always taught, the Gemara had connections to Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara always says, Shalchum Itam, they sent to Eretz Yisrael. Different people were Sulek. They, they went up from Babel to Eretz Yisrael. They went down from Babel to Eretz Yisrael. They had connections. They had travel back and forth. They had links and communications back and forth. But at the end of the day, the Jewish community, much of it, most of it, stayed in Babel. The question is, why? Eretz Yisrael is so wonderful. Eretz Yisrael is so important. Eretz Yisrael is so central to our, to our religious identity. Why would Amaram staying in Babel and not going to Eretz Yisrael? So Maram answers. Again, these questions aren't necessarily halacha That This happened a thousand years ago, and uh, this, the, the, this question was more a historical question, but this was somebody asked the Maram this, that how do you explain, how do you understand why the sages of the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, stayed in Babel? He answers that it was difficult. It, it wouldn't have been easy. Had they gone, they could have gone. The, nobody was stopping them from going. But it would have been difficult. They, they would have been under stress. They would have had to interrupt their study to, to, to find work, to support themselves. They had a more stable and, uh, and productive life back in Babel. They were able to learn more Torah. Going to Eretz Yisrael would have, met, would have meant they would have had to curtail their study of Torah in order to survive, in order to make ends meet. And he says, the rule is, he quotes a, a rule in the Talmud, 
Mutter Latzes Lachutflar is Laraba Lumatara. A person is allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. Normally, you're not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael to go to Chutzlar. This is a topic for a different night, but this is, this is something which is a much stricter prohibition than the basic mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael. Going to Eretz Yisrael, we're going to discuss tonight, it is a mitzvah, it's mandatory, it's not a mitzvah. Leaving Eretz Yisrael to go to Chutzlar is, a, is an absolute prohibition. There are some exceptions, but it's, uh, that, 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 that is a major problem, leaving Eretz Yisrael. But even that, it says you can leave. To, follow, to, to, to learn at the feet of a certain Rebbe, if, if you have a certain teacher who you think you need to learn Torah with, that's a, that's a valid reason for leaving Eretz Yisrael. Kolshkein, that if your Rebbe is in Bavel, is in Chutzlaretz, you don't leave him to go to Eretz Yisrael. And Kolshkein, it's not a question of just going to a different Rebbe or a different Yeshiva, it's a question of, if you're going to have to interrupt your Torah study entirely, to go look for, to go look for food, to go look for Parnassah, certainly that's the wrong thing to do. You know, even when it, even a question of following your Rebbe, there, there, there are teachers here, there are teachers there, but if you, if you want a certain teacher, if you need a certain teacher, that justifies leaving Eretz Yisrael. Certainly, interrupting your Torah study, the, the, the value of not having to interrupt your Torah study, not having to curtail and to, and to, and to, and to have your Torah study be thwarted, that, that trumps, that outweighs the value of going to Eretz Yisrael. And that's the, that, that's the Maram's answer. That's why the sages of the Talmud stayed in Bavel, because they were able to learn Torah properly in an uninterrupted fashion. They couldn't have done it had they gone to Eretz Yisrael for economic reasons or other reasons. Therefore, that explains why they stayed in Chutzlarz. This is an example of what I said earlier. As much as the Maram accepts and acknowledges the basic idea that going to Eretz Yisrael ain't kate l'scharo, there's no end to his reward, but there's one thing even more important than that, and that is being able to learn Torah properly. The Maram has another tshuva. The Maram said, the Maram was asked, can a father object to his son who wants to make aliyah? Now, the, the argument against his being able to object, he says, is that he says that he cannot, that he cannot object because kaimalon mitzvah lalos, we do paskin that there is a mitzvah to make aliyah, and it says, ani Hashem, ani Hashem, that the, it says, ishim above of tiro, a man is commanded to fear his father and mother and uh, Hashem, but I'm Hashem, and you need to have your Hashemayim, you need to fear heaven. That again, that trumps, that outweighs the mitzvah to have fear of your parents. And therefore, Ledvar Mitzvah Lo Yishmalo, you don't listen to your parents when they tell you to violate a mitzvah. Kavodam Akum Kodem, honoring Hashem, fearing Hashem, that trumps that, that is more important. This is a theme that actually is echoed down through later responsa. In the 20th century, there was a very amusing dispute. Maybe it wasn't so amusing if you're a parent in this situation, but there was a very amusing dispute between Tzitzeliezer of Waldenburg and Rav Nisim. The Rav Nisim had written that youth groups in the U.S., or Chutzlart, whoever he was talking about, who the question was, youth groups that were encouraging, some might say indoctrinating, teaching, propagandizing, whatever the word, whatever the word best suits it, who were encouraging their, their, the, young, the young, impressionable kids to make Aliyah. The parents weren't thrilled about that sometimes. So the question is, is it appropriate to encourage parents to fill them with love and yearning for Eretz Yisrael, even if that means that they're going to violate their parents' wishes? Rabbi Nisim said, yes. Maram said so. The, the, the mitzvah of going to Eretz Yisrael, it's a mitzvah. Parents' wishes have to be set aside in favor of the mitzvah. It's the right thing to do for a child to make Aliyah even against his parents' wishes. It's an explicit tshuva in the Maram. Therefore, the youth groups are doing the right thing. Rav Waldenberg was not convinced. He said not everyone agrees to the Maram. There are some who said that it's not such a mitzvah, that it doesn't override the parents' wishes. There are other early tshuvas in the subject, and he, he wasn't so convinced 
that it's really a good idea. It might be counterproductive for other reasons to have youth groups setting kids against their parents. And then he said, he's, he's not sure, he didn't say he was out and out wrong, but, but he said you shouldn't be so quick to make statements like that, that it's a good idea to have the Zionist youth groups encourage kids to make Aliyah against the will of their parents. The Maram, getting back to the Maram, the Maram has a couple of other brief responses on the same theme. He says, if a woman does not want to go to Eretz Yisrael, and the husband wants to make Aliyah, and they can't agree, so the Talmud says that he can, he, that he can divorce her and she forfeits her ksuva by, by refusing to accompany him to Eretz Yisrael. The Mishnah says, I call Malin Eretz Yisrael, then I call Maridin, that if the, if the spouses don't agree on where to live, the spouse who wants to go to Eretz Yisrael, his wishes take precedence, either direction. So in the case of the man who wants to go and the woman doesn't, so the way that works is if the man, he can't force her to go, he can't you know, tie her up and drag her to Eretz Yisrael, he could say, I'm going. If you're not going, you're in default of your conjugal obligations and you forfeit your ksuva and I can divorce you. So far, the Talmud. So the Maram was asked, is, is he going to get punished for this? Is that bad? If a man gives his wife this ultimatum and then takes advantage of her refusal to divorce her and, and not pay the ksuva, is he going to get punished for it? Maram says, obviously not. If he'd be punished, Chazal wouldn't have allowed this. Chazal clearly condoned this. Chazal said, that's what, he, that's what he can do. He can divorce her and she forfeits her ksuva. If that was somehow sinful and subject to punishment, they would not have said that. So the, the Maram says, clearly Chazal is saying he won't get punished. That, that, that's a legitimate decision for him to make. And if he does so, then uh, that, that's his prerogative. And there's no punishment. Whether, again, we just saw the Maram, that a person shouldn't give up, a person shouldn't give up Parnassah. If it'll, he won't be able to learn Torah. So if getting divorced, you know, can often throw him into more chaos than uh, losing his job even. So obviously that's taken into account. But if a person doesn't feel that his Torah study and other important aspects of his life will be disrupted by divorcing his wife. He can do that. That is what the Maram says. One last chuva by the Maram, he says, someone asked the Maram, apparently there were Gedolim, Gedolim, contemporary Gedolim, whose children had traveled to Israel to study Torah or for other reasons, and the Gedolim commanded their children to return. Maram said in the other chuva that parents have no, have no right to countermand their children's desire to live in Eretz Israel. So someone asked Maram, do you know why these Gedolim were ordering their kids back from Israel? So he says, Kimaduma, I think the reason might have been, he says he heard it from some of these children who returned on their parents' orders. He says, I think the reason is, I heard, because it is difficult out there. Ain't Shem Merachim Klal, not sure what that means, they don't have friends, they don't have supporters, they can't study Torah properly because they have to run around trying to make ends meet. And there's no Torah, and there isn't enough Torah out there, there, aren't, there isn't a, a Jewish, Jewish religious infrastructure, so mitzvahs, they can't do the mitzvahs properly. So because of the, the primitive, the spiritually and economically primitive state of Eretz Yisrael at the time, that's why the Gedolim felt it was inappropriate for their children to be there, because they felt it was bad for their personal religious development, so they ordered them back. So not a contradiction to the first Shuvah, the, the first Shuvah, the previous Shuvah, the Maram said in principle, the child's desire to do the mitzvah, all else being equal, outweighs the father's preference to be home. However, in some cases, if the, if the father, the, the father who's a gadol, understands that, the, understands that it's not good for the child there, that he can't learn Torah there, he's going to be busy with Parnassah, and there is no Torah there, and they're not going to do mitzvahs properly, then those, con- those considerations outweigh the mitzvah of Aliyah. This is the Maram's you know, nuanced and balanced understanding. Aliyah is a great, great thing. Ain kates l'scharo. But there are other values too. And those other values can sometimes uh, determine that it's not the right thing to do to go to Eretz Yisrael. Next tshuva I want to take a look at is a tshuva of the Truma Sedeshen. 
Trumas and Dashen is a 15th century German Achron moving forward a couple of centuries. So the Maram was apparently, the Trumas and Dashen here was writing to an acquaintance of his who had made Aliyah. And this person had written to the Trumas and Dashen. We know that the Shach tells us that some of the Trumas and Dashen's questions at least were, were composed. They were just literary devices to express uh, halachic ideas. This one sounds like it was an actual story. He says, you wrote to me about your making Aliyah to Eretz Tzvi, the, the land of Israel, Hira Kodesh, presumably Yerushalayim, Shibanath Meherab Yemenu. So, or, 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 or at least the person, the person was considering it, he was, he was writing about his plans or his, uh, his contemplated move to Eretz Yisrael. So is it really a mitzvah today? Uh, we don't have the, the Kibbutz Bachurim and Talmud Torah Lashami. We, we don't really have proper yeshivas out there. It's, Eretz Yisrael is still in the 15th century. You know, we, we, we know various Rishonim did make Aliyah. There were various Chachamim there. But it wasn't the same thing as, as Europe. It wasn't the same thing as France and Germany in the medieval period. So is it a good idea to make Aliyah? So again, Tumas takes a position similar to the Maram. On the one hand, he says, Bevadai shvach the Trumas is carefully avoiding using language of obligated, of chiyuv, or not chiyuv. Maram also didn't really, uh, didn't really say flat out chayev, but it's a point we'll return to later. But he says certainly it is uh, a great praise, it's a great thing he does, and he gets great credit for this, for living in Eretz Yisrael. Certainly in Ira Kodesh, it'll be good for you in the world to come, it'll be good for you in this world. However, he says, living in Israel is, he heard, is very problematic. He heard that there are Bnei Bris Maraviyim, not sure what those are exactly. There are people who, uh, who, have, who have bad character, who interfere with the, that the, that people who are friendly with the Arabs or in cahoots with the Arabs against the interests of the Jewish people. Rishoim Gemurim, Mosrim, terrible people who do terrible things to us out there, and they disturb the Ashkenazim, who are Shomrei Torah. I'm not sure if it's criticizing Sfardim, who were assimilating and uh, fraternizing in a nasty way with the Arabs. I'm not sure what exactly the social situation was, but he says the, the social conditions there, political, social conditions, can make it very difficult to be a Shomer Torah in Eretz Yisrael. Then he says you have the problem of Parnassah, Mizonis Dechukim. This is a theme, as we see, that many of the postkim returned to. For many centuries, Parnassah was, uh, was a grim affair in Eretz Yisrael. Baruch Hashem, Bechazdi Hashem. Today, we had, Israel is a first-world economy. Today, there are doctors and lawyers and uh, patent examiners and all kinds of professions out there, but for, for many centuries, things were pretty grim if you moved to Eretz Yisrael. And it's, it's very difficult. Who can survive living in Eretz Yisrael? Also, the villainy of the Arabs, the anti-Semitism, the, the antagonism of the Arabs is terrible and is disturbing, he says. Therefore, he doesn't say yes or no. He says he, he, doesn't, give you a, uh, a, he doesn't give you a definitive ruling, you know, das Torah, you know, sophisticated Das Torah doesn't always mean there's going to be a um, clear black and white answer. His answer is, every person has to make his own decision. Kolish, Yishar, Ba'atzmo, everyone should uh, evaluate for himself what he can tolerate, Ba'asagas, Gufo, Mamono, based on his resources, his temperament, what he can tolerate financially, whether he'll be able to be successful and maintain his Yeras Hashem and following mitzvahs. Again, similar to the Maram, at the end of the day, living in Eretz Israel is a tremendous Jewish value, but the most important thing, echoing the language of Kohelas, Sof Tavara Kol Nishma, we, we read, or we sh- would have read, or we should have read in happier times on, uh, well, that's that circus. We're getting, hopefully everything will be cleared up by then. That Kizek Adam, at the end of the day, the most important thing is Yeres Hashem and doing mitzvahs. And if, if going to Eretz Yisrael is going to interfere with that, 
then it's not worth it. If it's not going to interfere with that, then great. Then you should go to Eretz Yisrael. That's his, that's his position, similar to the Maram, that Eretz Yisrael is, 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 an, is an incredibly good thing, but it's not the only thing, and it has to be weighed against uh, these other considerations. A very similar analysis we, we find in several chuvas of the Rashbash. The Rashbash was almost an exact contemporary of the Trumas Hadeshin, ten years, they were about ten years apart. Also 15th century, while the Trumas Hadeshin was in, was in uh, Ashkenazic Europe, the Rashbash was a, was, a, was a Sephardi in North Africa. Rashbash is Rabbi Shlomo ben Shimon Duran, he was the son of the Tashbats, the Rashbash, Rabbi Shimon ben Semach Duran, great Chachamim in North Africa. Rashbash has several tshuvas. They dealt with making Aliyah, and they dealt with it in the context of, again, of spousal discord about where to live. I always say one of, the, one of my favorite things about halacha is that some of the most sublime and most profound questions, often we discuss them in very mundane and very uh, earthly context. The, the, key, the key Talmudic sugya of making Aliyah is at the end of Masechus Ksuvas. Ksuvas is in Nashim, of course. It deals with uh, resolving disputes between husband and wives. And the discussion there, it begins, as I mentioned earlier, Hakol Mal and Eretzel, Ben Hakol Maridin, the Mishnah discusses how to reconcile disputes between spouses over where to live. And one of the, one of the differences, one of the criteria we use is that whichever one wants to go to Eretz Yisrael has preference, has precedence. And from there, the Talmud goes into a whole discussion of the Anagadic discussion of how great it is to live in Eretz Yisrael, a halach discussion, different aspects of living in Eretz Yisrael, and that's where the Iker Suge is, and many of the postkim too, many of the, the key tshuvos on living in Eretz Yisrael arise out of questions about spouses who can't agree on where they should live. So the Rashbash has uh, two or three tshuvos on this topic, the, fir- the, ver- the very first two or three tshuvos in his sefer, tshuvos Rashbash, are about living in Eretz Yisrael, is, is the mitzvah enforced today? Do we still compel spouses to follow each other to Eretz Yisrael? So one of the points Rosh Pash discusses is danger. Now danger is a question that goes all the way back to Tosfus, and is discussed by all the postkim for hundreds of years. However, the danger is something that's very different from what we think of danger. When we think of danger, we think of rockets landing in Gaza or other places in Eretz Yisrael. We think of terrorists blowing up buses and restaurants. We think of shootings and knifings, and, and we think of Iran with their uh, nuclear arsenal. We think of stuff like that. That was not the concern in the 15th century. The concern of the 15th century was that travel itself was an inherently dangerous thing. Ocean travel was dangerous, as we've discussed many times. The risk of shipwreck, of piracy, of uh, bad things happening at sea was very high. Overland travel was dangerous. The roads were infested with highwaymen and cutthroats. So Tosis already says, on that Sugin Tuvas, Tosis already says that, that the, again, Tosis is not discussing whether there's a mitzvah to make Eliyahu. He's discussing the Evan Ezra question. Can spouses compel each other to go to Eretz Yisrael? The Talmud says they can. Does that still apply today? Tosa says no, and one of the reasons he gives is because the trip is too dangerous. Going in the dark ages from northern Europe, from western Europe, going to Eretz Yisrael was a very dangerous thing to do, and the halacha doesn't require spouses to do that when it's so dangerous. Rashbash considers the same question from the vantage point of North Africa, and he says, Makum Sakana, all posts can agree that spouses cannot compel each other to travel. It's obvious, he says, it's, it's self-evident, that's nothing overrides, almost nothing in Judaism overrides the preservation of life. And he says, the rule of Sakana is, and this is something that depends on the time and the place, but the rule today for, for, for our community, he says, in our areas, in the Maghreb, in, in Sephardic, North Africa, he says, when you're Misofa Marav, from all the way, the west end of the Maghreb, I guess, the west coast of Africa, 
all the way until Naaman, which was the name they called Alexandria in Egypt. That already is far enough. You're too far away to Eretz Yisrael. The danger, the, the danger of the trip is high enough that they can't compel each other to travel. However, from Alexandria Lamala, Alexandria, according to the internet, is about 300 miles plus from Yerushalayim. So that trip is close enough. You can, they can force each other to travel either on an overland route by Abasha or Derech Yam or by sea only in the summer when the seas are quieter, when the seas are not as stormy. If there are no pirates, in a case where the coast is clear of pirates and the weather is good in the summer and you're close enough, you're within a few hundred miles of Eretz Yisrael, of Yerushalayim, then the spouses could compel each other to go. However, I'm nervous about Paschini, Allah Chalamaisa, and I'm, I'm reluctant to compel anybody to go because it's not so simple to Paschini, Allah Chalamaisa, they can force each other to make such a trip. Even the several hundred miles, is, he's not so sure about. In, in, in a second shuva, he has one of the key discussions of mitzvahs Yishev Eretz Yisrael. He says, is it really a mitzvah? Is it a daraisa? Is it a rabbanan? A topic about which a tremendous amount has been written. We're not going to explore the the primary sources in any depth, but he summarizes the basic, the basic positions. Ain't Suffolk, he says, there is no doubt, nobody disagrees, that living in Eretz Yisrael is mitzvah gadol. The top of the second page is that it's a great mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael. Becholzman, this applies today as well, even though there's no base of Mikdash. And Mori Zikni HaRamban, he and his father, the Tashpats, were descendants of the Ramban. He says, Ramban counts as mitzvah say daraisa. This is one of the disagreements between Ramban and Rambam about how to count the Tariq mitzvahs. The Ramban, they, they disagree about a dozen or two of the mitzvahs. Ramban takes out about a dozen of the Rambams, a dozen or two, and puts in a dozen or two of his own. So one of the ones he puts in, the Rambam did not count, is Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. The Torah says, Hashem tells the Jewish people in the desert, you shall possess it and inherit it. That's a mitzvah say, according to the Ramban. Mitzvah say, daraisa. And that's what he says, my father, the Tashbats, in his Sefer, Zohar Harakiah says, he also paskins like that. Now, the Rambam did not count it as a mitzvah daraisa. That's how he understands the Rambam. Mikal makam, it ain't a mitzvah nimnis. It might not be one of the taryag, one of the enumerated taryag. It's at least a mitzvah drabanan. No, nobody argues that it's not a mitzvah, he says. Drabanan, daraisa, but it's certainly a mitzvah. However, he has a couple of caveats, a couple of restrictions. First of all, he says we can't have mass aliyah. We can't have national aliyah in an organized national way. And he brings another one of the Gemaras and Ksuvas in that sugya. The Gemara says the, the famous three oaths. God made the Jewish people swear several oaths. One of them was loyalo b'choma, that they would not, they would not, without divine sanction, without permission from the other nations, they would not make aliyah together and mass to Eretz Yisrael. Look what happened to Bnei Ephraim, who left Egypt early and tried to take matters into their own hands. However, Yechidim individuals have the mitzvah of aliyah. The nation as a whole does not. So in the 20th century, there was actually some debate after the Balfour Declaration whether the, the oaths were still in force, even if you understand the oaths to be binding. The no less a Haredi figure as Rameir Simcha of Dvinsk, Dar Sameach, wrote in a letter that he thinks that the Shavuos have been neutralized, have been vitiated, because the nations of the world uh, in, in Balfour and San Remo had, had let the Jews, had, had given the Jews, uh, granted the Jews the right to go to Eretz Israel. So some debate about whether it still applies today. Some say that the non-Jews had, didn't live up to their obligations. They mistreated us, so the, the contract is void. But the Rashbash, in his time at least, in 15th century, still felt that the prohibition was in force. What that means, he says, is that there's a collective ban. We can't make mass aliyah by force. Post can disagree about whether the Iker, Post can discuss whether the Iker prohibition is by force, whether it's whether it's the fact that it's national. But either way, individuals making private immigration in... Uh, consistent with the, with, with the law, certainly is okay, and therefore a mitzvah, he says. However, if there are obstacles that you don't have to go, 
and he brings the examples of you need to get married, you can even leave Eretz Israel to learn Torah, like we saw in the Maram. And then he says that the that danger. Then he goes back to the theme of danger. He says here in, in our area, in, in, in the central northern coast of Africa, Algeria, Tunisia, he says that I don't compel people to go to Eretz Israel. I don't. I, I don't. I don't. Let, I don't allow spouses to compel each other because the drachim are dangerous. The roads are dangerous. The sea lanes are dangerous. The land lanes are dangerous. Rain, storms, ships foundering, and uh, shvi, about uh, kidnappers, and so on. So it's too dangerous. So they can't force each other to go. In, yes? Question. Uh, yes. Can you, say, can you speak a bit more about this uh, oath that uh, Jews have reportedly taken not to leave without permission from other nations? I, I, I didn't get that. What's that all about? The Talmud and Ksuva says that God, based on Sukkot and Shirim, it says, God says, I made you, the Jewish people, swear various things. The Talmud lists that the Jews are not going to rebel against the nations, that the Jews are not going to The words of the Talmud are It's a difficult phrase to translate. Yalu means to make aliyah. Choma is the hard word. Choma means they will not make aliyah in a manner of choma. So so, so some Rishonim use the language of biyad chazaka, they will not make forceful aliyah against the will of the nations. Again, the question is which nations? The occupying nations, the United Nations, the, the General Assembly, the Security Council. Chazal don't define exactly which nations get to be the ones to decide, but they say where, that where both... Is it, where, is it, where does the Talmud, uh, where does the Gemara and Ketuvas or wherever uh, come up with this idea that the Jews uh, actually said that? At what time, when does that actually occur? So I don't know when it occurs. The, the Talmud is, is being durish some of the verses in Shira Shirim. I don't know if the Talmud is claiming that it's Pshutosh Mikra in Shira Shirim, or the Talmud is claiming these are drushes. It's like a lot of Agadic stuff in the Talmud. It's, it's difficult to know whether Chazal were recording traditions they had, whether Chazal were using their wisdom to, to express an idea and associating it with Pesukim. I, I, I can't tell you, and historically, when these were said to take place, I, I, I don't remember if the Gemara makes that clear or not. I certainly don't remember offhand when historically that would have occurred. And these are good questions, and I, I, I don't have all the details on the Shavuos. The, the, the most famous discussion of the Shavuos is, was by the Satmar Rebbe in the 20th century. He was the most famous, most important, quote-unquote, anti-Zionist, or at least anti-political Zionist in, in history. He wrote an entire work, Alagula Valatmura. He explored at, at, at great length the, the, the parameters, the rules of the Shavuos. He took them in a very rigorous and halachic way, and he spent pages and pages and pages, from his perspective of a virulent opponent of the Zionist project, explaining what he thinks the Shavuos mean. Again, he's not the only, he's not the only opinion on the subject. There are, there are opinions on both sides of this, as I mentioned earlier, Meir Simcha, and I'm not going to go too much more deeply into the Shavuos, because it, it, it's, not a, it's not a part of, the, of our theme that I prepared. I, I, I agree, it's an, it is an interesting question, maybe we'll return to it another time, but I'm not going to go too much further down, down that road because uh, I didn't prepare so, so deeply these food. But, but these, are, these are good questions you're asking. I'm just going to... Sorry? It's pretty intriguing. Yes. It reminds me of uh, the, the Pharaoh saying, um, I, I didn't think they were going to be leaving. Um, I thought they were only going for three days. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, on the one hand, you have uh, uh, Pharaoh and others of his ilk saying, get out of here. And on the other hand, saying, we want to kill you. Right. I, I, I will just note that the Rashbash himself notes that Mitzrayim had there were two sides to that coin as well. There was a Midrash that says that the Bnei Ephraim had tried to leave Mitzrayim earlier in an unsanctioned exodus from Egypt, and they were massacred by the 
and they were massacred on the way, and their bodies were still uh, were still laying there as a reminder of what happened. The, the Jews, Hashem Sanctioned said. Sanctioned by whom, Rabbi? I'm sorry. Sanctioned by whom? The, the, the Mitzrayim were never going to let us let them go. Right, so the never did. So you, presumably, you have to either have sanction of God or of the or of the nations. God has the right, certainly, to override the nations and say the, their, their their cup is full and it runneth over, and it's time for you to uh, the cup of Peronius is full, and you can leave without their permission. Obviously, God can do that. Lost Lavo, God is going to redeem us and bring us back to Israel. I don't know if they, if all the non-Jews will necessarily agree or not, but certainly God can override the can override this, but... I thought the issue with the Ephraim was that it was kind of a false messiah, and they, they, they hadn't gotten the signal, so to speak, that they were, they were to leave. Yeah, that, right, right. That's, the, that, that, that's part of it, and that's what the, the Rashbash understands, but that's a general precedent for the idea that making unsanctioned uh, attempts to leave the Gullus without God's signal, Hashem, without... Hashem was the source of the command to leave, not the nations. Right, right. Yeah, so, so, so you're right, this is true. It, it's, it, we, we do find different, different ways of leaving Golos. Sometimes it's Hashem's decision, sometimes second base of Mikdash, Hashem brought a bath that Koresh uh, invited us back and let, let us rebuild the temple. But that's actually one of the things that Arsimach says. He says that in, in, a, in an amazing letter, he says that the, the destruction of the first temple was foretold by prophets, as well as the return to Zion and the second base of Mikdash was also foretold by prophets. He said in, by the beginning of the second temple, he says the destruction of the second temple was not, foretold, was not foretold by prophets. There were no more prophets then. And Miyadeh, he says, the same way the destruction of the second temple and the Gullus that followed it were not foretold by prophets, that perhaps, too, the, the, the redemption, the, the final redemption, going back to Israel in our time, will not be foretold by prophets. It will happen in a more naturalistic uh, way with less divine presence. And he basically seems to be entertaining the, the idea that this, that this could be Eschalta de Gula in some sense, the events of the 20th century, even though we don't have Nevi'im who are, who are giving us the explicit uh, imprimatur of God. Okay, so, but I want to move on from the, from the Shalosh As you said, it is an interesting topic, and there's a lot more to say about it. But I want to just move on to some of the other material in the responsive literature, which generally does not focus on the Shavuos. One last brief tshuva of the Rashbash. He says, again, he, he returns to the theme... He returns to the theme of the roads being da- of the roads being dangerous, and he says, "Therefore, ein isha The spouses can't force each other. However, he says, Because it's dangerous, spouses can't force each other. It's a purely voluntary decision. It's up to every person has to make the decision for himself, which is very interesting. He really feels that it's dangerous enough that we suspend the halachas of the Talmud. One could have argued that." It's not up to you. A person has no right to, th- to throw his life away. A person's not allowed to be most your nefesh in, in, for, for no reason. There is a debate whether, if, whether if, a, if a person can be most your nefesh when someone's trying to force him to do an avera, like eat pork. It's not one of the three cardinal sins. There is a famous machlok. We shown him. Rambam says you're not allowed to give up your life. You're considered a suicide if you do. Other rishonim say it's a, you could kadosh yomerlo. It's a midas chasidus and a, a voluntary self-sacrifice is good, but definitely not just to do a mitzvah. If, I, if I'm sick and the doctor says I have to uh, eat pork and I say, no, I don't want to eat pork, I'm going to be most nefesh, almost all posts can agree you can't do that. And you're, you're a sinner if you do that. You can't just decide you think pork is more important than human life. So if it was really a serious sakana, I don't know if you'd be allowed to risk your life to, to do it. So posts can actually debate this. Rashbash himself is a little bit inconsistent in, the, a little bit inconsistent in, in, in his other chuvas. In his other chuvas, he indicates that 
that not only uh, do, not, that not only can't they force each other. He says that he, he, he applies a standard rule, which would seem to indicate that you're not even allowed to go, even if you would want to. And in this Juba, though, he seems to say that you are allowed to, just that we're not Kofa. There are other poskim also who seem to entertain the possibility, either because Eretz Yisrael is such a great mitzvah, the person is allowed to assume some risk, or because, or because the, the risk is relatively low, that there can be a, 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 a low to moderate level of risk, which is enough that we say you can't force someone else to do it, but you might still be able to risk your life yourself. In any event, that last line of the Rosh is a striking one. He says, you can't force your wife, you can't force your husband, but you yourself can go if, you, uh, if, if you're willing to risk your life. Now, moving ahead a few hundred years now to the Chassam Sofer in the 19th century, the Chassam Sofer, responding again to a correspondent, he says, again, wondering, the same way the Maram's correspondent asked him, why did the sages of the Babylonian Talmud not move to Israel? So the Chassam Sofer addressed the same question 500 years later, that why were so many Chachme Yisrael, so many Jewish scholars who were pious and devout, why did they not go to Eretz Yisrael? Or if they did, they did go to Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't go to Yerushalayim, is a mitzvah to go to Yerushalayim? Even in rabbinic times, where there were Jews in Eretz Yisrael, the Sanhedrin went to Yavna and Tzipori, and they, they weren't always in Yerushalayim. At the time of the Beis Yosef, we know that the center of gravity in the time of the 16th century was in Sfas, not Yerushalayim. Beis Yosef, the Arizal, in the great battle over the, over the revival of Smicha in the 16th century, the formal rabbinic ordination, ordination of Talmudic times, it was largely a fight between, the, a quarrel between the Chachamim of Tzfas and the Chachamim of Yerushalayim. The Chum of Tzfas had the overwhelming preponderance of, of Torah scholarship. That, that was the Beis Yosef's teachers, Rabbi Yaakov Beirav was the leader of them, Arizal was there, the Maram al-Shakar, there, there were, the, the Mabit, and there, there were many, many great, uh, great Tzfardi Chachamim in Tzfas. Yerushalayim had a relative dearth of Chachamim. The one great Chachamim in Yerushalayim was Rabbi Levi ibn Chaviv, the Maral Bach, who was the Marie Mar, Barav's great opponent. But, but certainly at that time, the center of gravity was heavily focused on Tzfas. And for centuries, Tzvats had a stronger community than Yerushalayim. So they asked the Chassam Sofer, what happened? How come people are ignoring Yerushalayim? So the Chassam Sofer says, you're right, in principle, the, in principle, they should be going to Yerushalayim. But in Talmudic times, it wasn't practical. There were harigos and shmados in Yerushalayim. Political conditions made it terrible, made it impossible to live in Eretz Yisrael. That's why Sanhedrin, he says Sanhedrin left Yerushalayim. And then he says that things build on themselves. Once the... So Hedron was other places, the Torah scholarship, the, the, the critical mass of Jewish society coalesced around other places, and Yerushalayim simply didn't have the same critical mass that other cities had. So therefore, there's no longer a mitzvah to go to Yerushalayim, like we saw in the Maram and the Tumas Adeshin. At the end of the day, the ability to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs and live a proper Jewish life is more important than the mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael or to live in Yerushalayim. And he, bring, he brings from Chazal that even Ezra, when they returned to Eretz Yisrael in the time of Ezra, Ezra didn't leave Babel and go back to Eretz Yisrael as long as Baruch Paneria was Kaya. Baruch Paneria was his great rabbi, and he, he wasn't going to leave his rabbi even to build a base of Mikdash because some things are more important than Eretz Yisrael and even the temple service. Talmud Torah and Yeshiva, he says, Adifam Nakol. Again, echoing the, the traditional Jewish idea that the greatest things in the world are Talmud Torah and Yeshiva, that having a high level of Torah scholarship and being able to do mitzvahs, that's the most important thing. That's why in Tzfas too he said that he says, once, once, once it starts like that, it's self-perpetuating. Once most Chachamim are there, most Chachamim continue going there because they want to go with other Chachamim are. You want to know how it started, he says. You want to know how it first started. That, that's not a question, he says. Nobody knows the, the history. Nobody knows exactly the original motivations. 
But once they got there and they found everyone else was living there, it, it's self-perpetuating. People continue to live there because that is the best place to live. But it's important to note, even though in this tshuva, the Chesam Sefer stoutly defends the decision of later generations, at least, to live in Tzvah, and not Yerushalayim, and he justifies it for, on, on these grounds, in another discussion, in one of his drushes, Chesam Sefer has a, uh, a, a memorable, incredible passage he talks about the great earthquake in Tzvas, in the Galil in 1837, terrible earthquake that caused tremendous damage in Eretz Yisrael. And, and the Chassam Sofer says that that earthquake, which happened in Tzvas, was Kinas Yerushalayim. It was, Yushal, it was, it was Hashem was avenging the, the jealousy of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim said, I'm Yerushalayim, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the ideal, people should be here, this is the Shara Shemayim, this is Hara Maria, this is where Akedis Yitzhak was, this is where Yaakov slept and had his dream of the Sulam, this is the Harabayas, this is the tale Shakol Ponemelea, the Shechina Lozaza from the coastal Maravi. He says, for more than 100 years, in his time he says, for 100 years, he says, the, he says, people have entirely turned to Tzfas, the Rishim Ben Yochai is in, in Tzfas, near Tzfas, Ari is in Tzfas, everyone goes to Tzfas, they've forgotten Yerushalayim, as he says, however, it's a mitzvah to go there to Yerushalayim, people only go to Tzfas, they want to go to the Rashbi, he says, they've forgotten all about Yerushalayim. He says, what kind of business is this? This is the, this is the tshuva where he famously, uh, he famously uh, casts shade, famously dubious about celebrating the yartzeit of Hashem ben Yochai. He says, since when do we make Yom Tovim on yartzeit? He says, that's not a traditional Jewish custom. But also, he actually blames the earthquake on the failure of people to settle in Yerushalayim instead turning to Tzvah. So in the tshuva, he defends it. Here, he actually says it's the, the fault of the earthquake. Contemporary people sometimes... You know, Western people don't like the idea of blaming natural disasters on sin and pointing to specific sins and identifying them as the cause for natural disasters, but it has to be noted that this is a time-honored, hallowed custom of, Jew- of uh, Gedolei Torah. They were often not shy about ascribing blame for catastrophes in their time. What they felt was sinful, problematic conduct. As a matter of fact, Rebekah Emden has a passage in, his Siddur, in, his, in the Siddur Yavetz, where he says, he goes even further, he says all the troubles that have affected the Jews, the expulsion from Spain and the, all the massacres and, and all that stuff that, that, that befalls the Jews in Golis is all because of our failure to make Aliyah. Everyone is comfortable in Chutzlart. Nobody cares about going to Eretz Yisrael. Nobody does anything. They all say that we, that we found substitutes for Yerushalayim. It's the failure. God reminds us it's the, it's, it's the failure of all of us to care about Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim. That's why God brings all these painful reminders. Now, now you'll ask, of course, what was Yaakov Emden doing in, uh, in Central Europe and not going to Eretz Yisrael? That's a good question. I am not familiar enough with his writings to know whether he ever explains himself why, in this passage, I don't think he does, in his Siddur. I don't know if he ever explains why he stayed in Chutzlar. We, we, we've been seeing a number of reasons why Postkim say that you can. It's very dangerous. Parnas is a problem. But again, Yaakov Emden wasn't willing to give that dispensation to the most of Klai Yisrael. He blamed the, some of the worst tragedies of the Jewish people post Korban on that. So he wasn't apparently uh, too quick to uh, justify all of it on those grounds. So why he himself didn't go, I do not know. In the same vein, though, moving now again, continuing in the 19th century, we have a tshuva of Roshul Kluger. He, in the middle of a longer tshuva, he addresses the question of how do we paskin? Is the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael and the right of spouses to force each other to make aliyah, is that still in force today? He says, clearly not. He says, sugin da'alma, the, the consensus, the halachic consensus clearly is that it is not in force. If so, he says, why don't the Rabbanim go? The Hasidim, why don't they go to Eretz Yisrael? He says, certainly they have the power to go. Some of them were quite rich. He says, the, the Rav HaMafursim, the famous Rav of Yisrael of Ruzhin, 
Rajin was a dynasty that was famous for its aristocracy, for its wealth, for its power. So again, I'm not, I'm not saying there was anything wrong with it, but the point is, you want to say that penniless uh, rebbies who didn't have the wherewithal to do anything couldn't make Aliyah fine, travel's expensive. But there were rebbies who had the resources, who had, uh, they could have done it, and it wasn't that difficult, he says. Why didn't they go? The, him, his descendants, he says, Al-Karchach, we paskin, there is no mitzvah. Now, the counter-argument certainly could be that there are other reasons why they didn't go. We've seen already that Talmud Torah and the ability to live a proper Jewish life, those are reasons why a person might not have to go. So it could be that's all included in Rosh Hashanah. He means maybe those are the reasons why we don't go, particularly when you're dealing with leaders, when you're dealing with Hasidic Rebbe's or Abanim, it can be argued that they feel that the value they have to their flock, to their, the, the leadership they can provide, the education, the spiritual guidance, and the, the benefit they can provide to entire communities, maybe outweighs the, their personal benefit of going to Eretz Israel. Why can't they move the whole community to Eretz Israel? That could be more difficult, that could cost more money, that they may not have had the resources to do that. Rav Shlomo Kluger at least says that the fact that the, again, you look at uh, Catholic Israel, to borrow the term, the fact that Klai Israel as a whole and Gedolei Torah and leaders, Befrat, did not generally, historically make Aliyah, clearly indicates that, the, that, that making Aliyah is not a binding obligation, at least Bismanazel. And similarly, one last tshuva we'll mention is a tshuva of Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein is just a couple of paragraphs at the end of a longer tshuva. He was asked again, his correspondent, is there a mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael, like the Ramban? There is a mitzvah, mitzvah deraisi even. Or he refers to a shita of Rabbi Chaim, Rabbi Chaim Cohen in Tosfus, that there is no mitzvah. Rabbi Chaim Cohen's shita is a shita that we have not mentioned heretofore. He has a very curious idea. We mentioned Tosfus. Tosfus says there are two reasons why the imperative to live in Eretz Yisrael may not be in, in, in force or in as much force as it used to be. So one of them is the pragmatic concern for danger. The trip is dangerous. The other concern is Rav Chaim Cohen, who says that there are many mitzvahs to Baretz, and it's very difficult to be punctilious and fulfill all the mitzvahs uh, correctly. Therefore, again, like the Maram said, we started with the Maram, that don't go to Eretz Yisrael if you're not going to do mitzvahs. Even if you're going to try, if you're not going to do a good job, then it's not worth going to Eretz Yisrael. Rav Chaim Cohen's position doesn't seem to have that much traction in the later poskim, notably the Marit. The Marit writes, of course we should go to Eretz Yisrael. He says, that's not a reason, unless it's dangerous. That's not a reason. He says, to do the mitzvahs. Baruch Hashem, we have Rabbanim, and we have Svarim, and you can learn to do the mitzvahs and do them, he says. And why, why is that an obstacle, he says. So he, 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 that's not Lahalach, he says. In general, most poskim have not, uh, I think, have not accepted Rav Chaim Cohen. The, the, the bulk of the questions involve, revolve around Parnassa and about the danger, and about Bittal Torah, and all those things, but the, the way the person asked Ramosha was, do we paskin, like the Ramban, that it's a mitzvah to go to Israel, or like Rav Chaim Cohen, that because of the problem of doing mitzvahs, it's not a mitzvah. Ramosha says, again, la'alacha, in principle, most posts can say it's a mitzvah. However, he says, it's not a mitzvah chiyuvis. Ramosha makes the very interesting claim, he, he articulates it, the, the overall position of Ramosha, that it's a great thing to do, but it's not strictly binding, as we've seen, we find in many poskim. The way Ramosha articulates it, though, is that it is a mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah chiyubis. It's what we call a mitzvah chiyubis. It's an act that you, that you get a mitzvah for doing, and you get uh, schar for doing it, but it's not mandatory. People often throw around the term mitzvah chiyubis. There aren't actually that many mitzvahs which, are, which we would call mitzvah chiyubis. Most mitzvahs are either mandatory or not mitzvahs at all. Some mitzvahs are, are only mandatory when a certain condition is triggered, like tzitzis. You, you have to put on dalakanfas, you have to put on the, the chutim on the four corners of your beged, only if you wear such a beged. So it's kiyumis in the sense you don't have to wear the beged, but once you do, once you do wear that kind of garment, it's a mandatory obligation. 
there aren't that many mitzvahs which are strictly kiyumis. Rav Moshe argues that Yishuv Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah kiyumis. He says, nobody ever said that it's usher to live in chutzlarts. He says, the truth is, earlier posts have already said this, that there are, there's a tshuva in the Meretzalon, who says something similar based on the Rambam, that the that the, the, Ram, the, the, the Ramosh actually brings tzitzis as an example of a mitzvah chiyubis. Once you're wearing a bagot of dal kanfus, you have to put on tzitzis. It's not optional. You don't have to wear the bagot. Once you do it, it's an iser not, not to put on the tzitzis. You, you mavatal a mitzvah if you don't put on the tzitzis. The iser, he says, is the iser, as I mentioned earlier, what is an iser, even Ramosh agrees, what is an iser is someone who lives in Eretz Yisrael, who, leave, who leaves Eretz Yisrael to go, to, makes Yerida, that such a person is over an iser. That's the language of the Rambam. But, but the Rambam never says it's usher to live in Chutzlart. The Rambam says it's to live in Mitzrayim. He doesn't say it's usher to live in, in Chutzlart in general. The Rambam himself certainly lived in Chutzlart. So Moshe says that there he was could no... He have said that because a lot of Jews could not live in Israel. So he could not possibly have said it's, it's usher to live outside of Israel. That's there true. That's true. So that the Rambam certainly, if, if, he would have, if he would have chosen to write language like Israel, he certainly would have had to acknowledge the... Presumably, would have acknowledged the various justifications that many posts can say. He would have had to bring the limud schus. But if, in principle, there is an obligation, the Rambam, the Rambam should have said, "Call me uh, or Oster. The Rambam never says anywhere that, that with, with, with any qualifications, there's any obligation to live in Eretz Yisrael or to uh, or, 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 that, or any level of prohibition for anybody to live in Chutzlarts except Mitzrayim. We mentioned earlier the Rashbash said that everyone agrees it's a mitzvah, be it a raisa or drabanan. Ramosha claims it might be a mitzvah though. But it's, it's not a mitzvah chiyuvis. It's a, it, it's a mitzvah chiyumis, your makabal schar, but it's not binding. He says that, he, so he says that it's not a mitzvah chiyuvis. He says, since it's not a mitzvah chiyuvis, he says, therefore you can start taking into account the concerns of Rav Chaim Cohen, whether you can do the mitzvah with Baret, and more generally, presumably, you can take into account all the other considerations, Parnasa and these things, about, about how you think your life and your avodah Hashem will be. Uh, Will be, will, will be best realized. If something is a mitzvah chiyuvis, you can have all the cheshbonos in the world, you can't generally violate a mitzvah. If someone feels that he, can, uh, that, that he can have a great day and study tons and tons of Torah, as long as he ignores the isser of muchts on Shabbos, that doesn't work like that. You can't do an isser, even isser drabanan, because you want to learn lots of Torah. We generally, you know, there are always exceptions, and there are always uh, qualifications and exceptions and a hierarchy of values, but in general, we don't just allow you to make decisions about you know, I think that if not for, if not for the mitzvah of eating Basar B'chalav, I could really uh, have, have immeasurably superior Avodah Hashem. You can't dispense with one mitzvah, even if you think that it'll overall improve your Avodah Hashem. So if someone says, I think my life as, a, as an Eved Hashem, as a Shomer Torah mitzvah, will be better in, in Chutzlart, if it would be a strictly binding mitzvah to go to Israel, that's not a cheshbon. But Moshe says, the Teretz is it's not absolutely binding, it's simply a great value. Once it's a great value, at the end of the day, Ramosh is saying essentially the same thing as Maram and many others in using different language and different, different, different uh, conceptual justification, but he's arriving at essentially the same point. It's not strictly a mitzvah, and therefore all these other considerations, whether it's Rav Chaim Cohen's consideration about being able to properly keep mitzvahs, whether it's Parnassah, like other posts can say, whether it's Limud Torah and the ability to do other mitzvahs properly, because of all these things, a person has to make the... Has to make the and like many posts can say, it's a personal decision. We can't, give, we can't necessarily give one-size-fits-all guidance, but because it's not strictly an obligation... This seems to be the dominant view among poskim. A person can make a decision about what will be best for him. Now, the decision has to be made honestly. A person shouldn't just say, I like, uh, I like American culture, I like American movies, I like, the, I like the architecture in America, I like suburbia, I like an upper-middle-class lifestyle, I have to give up all those things to go to, to, go to, to, go to Eretz Israel. That presumably is not, uh, is, is not a uh, good way to approach things. But if a person honestly feels that his 
Limrat Torah will suffer, his ability to do mitzvahs will suffer, the chinuch of his children will suffer. If a person feels all those things are true, and he feels it honestly, and he's not just looking for excuses and justifications for a decision he's already made, then, uh, then that's a valid decision. But uh, again, today it, it must be agreed, today it is much easier to live in Eretz Israel for most people than it ever would have been, uh, it ever would have, than it ever was historically for thousands of years. A person really has to make a serious cheshbon uh, nefesh about why he's living in Chutzlarts and whether he really has, according to the Torah's values, whether he really has a good reason for doing so. And obviously, I'm living here in Chutzlar too. I, 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 don't mean to, to, I don't mean to tell you that I have a good cheshbon and the onus is on you to explain to me why you have one. I, I have the same questions I ask myself, and I freely admit that I don't have a, uh, an entirely satisfactory reason. So as the Bali Musar always say, I'm speaking to everyone, including myself, and I mean, I mean this honestly, and uh, we all have to figure out why we're living in Chutzlar. Hopefully, Hashem will bring the gula, and we'll all be there soon. But if the gula does not come, we'll still have to make a, uh, a careful and honest chajra nefesh about why we choose to live in Chutzlarts.